0: What's up everybody welcome back to another finance friday on strength coach net worth and we are just apparently we're diving down the whole strength staff at uh, lsu football everybody but we have the wolf of the weight room himself jordan pinella thank you for joining us he's the wolf of the wolf of the weight room because it's a play on wolf of wall street jordan introduce yourself so everybody understands why i'm saying this
1: well thanks for having me on justin um yeah obviously you've had most of the staff on i think at this point you've had jake you've had scotty uh, now you've had myself. I'm going to
0: get Ike and then, uh, yeah, we got to get Ike and Seeger on here too soon.
1: Oh yeah. Seeger Seeger, Seeger be a character. Oh yeah. That guy's the man. Um, that would make for a great episode, but, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, seriously, I've actually never done a podcast, uh, on purpose. That was by design. Um, I'm sort of a private guy in terms of a lot of my strength conditioning stuff. But when you asked me to do one, um, I kind of always thought in my mind I would start with SCN and start with yourself. So
0: appreciate that, man. just cause I
1: have such, I have such respect for you and, and the platform and, and what Keir built as well. And uh, obviously we've all been pretty close connected through Scotty. So um, I was honored. I am honored to be on the podcast. It's uh, you do a great job. So thanks for having me on um, quick intro for myself. Again, my name is Jordan Pinella. I'm the assistant manager of applied sports science here at LSU. So I'm basically one of two of the, our sports scientists, um, for the football team. Um, I will get into this more in the podcast, I'm sure, um, but I started my career on Wall Street. Um, I worked at B of A Merrill Lynch for three years. I was a trader for two of those years, an investment banker for a year after that, transferred internally in the firm. And then I spent a year with the private equity firm, uh, Bright Star Capital. Um, spent a year with them. It's uh, At the time, it was a billion dollar firm. I think they've grown to three billion under management. Yeah, they're big now. <laughs> So essentially just a big pool of money. Uh, It's really no different than a hedge fund, except um, when we invested in something, we took full control. So we would buy out companies outright um, and sometimes take out the CEO or whatever you gotta do to make the company more profitable. Five years or seven years down the line, we're getting out of it at a a profit. So you're an investor and a business operator. Um, So I did Wall Street for four years, uh, all of which was in Manhattan, New York City. And then I decided I was done with that. We can get into that more if you'd like. Um, And I moved into strength conditioning, started my career at Air Force as an intern, moved to USC football um, for a year after that, spent the 2021 season with them. And then uh, when Coach Kelly got hired here at LSU, um, I was given a mutual connection between USC and LSU, got hired on by Scotty and uh, Coach Flint, and uh, here I am. So it's been a fun ride. two totally different careers, but yeah. I think I found a small niche for myself in this one. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been awesome.
0: Dude, anybody listening to this, like, <clears throat> I I want everybody to know I've met him before and we've, we've been stayed in contact since we hung out. But I mean, you're one of the smartest dudes I've ever met and it's been a privilege to get to know you too. So like, and I also have this habit of like getting super close with people that I feel like an instant connection with. I'm like, all right, I feel like yeah. I've known the strength staff at LSU for a while. No um, doubt like you guys and for you personally like there's so many questions to unpack from what you just said about that i guess first of all like why leave that world to get into the world of strength and conditioning
1: yeah so you know it's interesting Uh, i'm sure i'm gonna have a lot of stories on this podcast so um I'll, i'll give the story straight up so basically you know you're working 100 hours a week on wall street um as a trader You're working a little bit less than that, but you're getting in early and you're going out a ton with clients.
0: I don't think anybody knows what it means to be a trader because I know I don't like what they truly just assume that we know nothing.
1: Sure. Uh, As a trader, think about trading stocks, right? And most people probably know what a stock is. Um, It's a very basic piece of equity that you can buy of a company. So you're essentially buying a small piece of ownership of a company. That is worth something. Um, And the the value of that changes day to day with the stock market based on economic factors, company specific factors, um, environmental factors, things like that. Those values change and people buy and sell those assets. Right. So most people own probably some stocks in a retirement portfolio or something, you know, a personal trading account, something along those lines that can be made as a career. So there are people that do that for a living. The goal is to make as much money as physically possible. So you're making money by buying things that go up in value and selling things that go down in value. I did that for a living at a big investment bank in New York uh, for two years. So that was essentially a very high level overview of what you do as a trader. Okay. Um, now on that job, you have clients. So you're buying and selling assets between two counterparties. Those could be things like hedge funds, pension funds, money managers, anybody with loads of money that's able to buy and sell investments. Um, So you can buy and sell between them and those clients of yours, you have to cater to. So part of the job is not only trading day to day, which is, I would say, about 12 hours a day, but you got to take them out, too. So Um, going out, you know, socially with them was a big part of that job and it adds to the hours and there's a nightlife component involved to it. So uh, very exhausting over time. So uh, again, I did that for two years. Um, But, you know, if if people watch, you know, Wolf of Wall Street um, or uh, even the show Billions or something like that, like most people have probably seen um, a Hollywood version of what trading is. Mm -hmm. It's it's obviously not that way in real life, but I think that's a pretty decent synopsis of kind of the intensity and the, uh, general, um, vibe of the job itself. So the whole goal is to make as much money as possible. Profit and loss, we call it, um, is our version of wins and losses. Okay. So you make money at the end of the day, uh, a lot of money, you are going to be like a coach that wins a lot of games, right? You're going to be employed and you're going to make more money, uh, from your firm. If you lose money, you're probably not going to be there very long. So, <laughs> Uh, the whole job, the whole job is to make money. And there's a scoreboard every single day where you've got how much money you make uh, on any given day. So um, it, it's very similar to football, right? It's very similar to sport uh, where there's a literal scoreboard and you get judged on a win or loss and there's no hiding from it. So that aspect I really loved about it.
0: I mean, it, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like most people get out of co- uh, coaching cause it's, too hard and too long a days. You're like, ah, it's yeah. a
1: breeze. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I tell people like, all the easy. time. I tell people all the time that I feel like I'm on vacation 24 seven. And I mean that in a respectful manner yes. because I love what I do. Um, it's, it's truly my passion and, you know, I'm sure later on we can get into the story of, um, or I can just give it now of why I, why I left, I guess, right? Your original yeah. Why question. is athletics uh, important to you? Yeah. So I guess, After four years of it, essentially, um, I was just done working 100 hours a week behind a computer. Um, Long story short, I had a boss that didn't treat me very well, um, spoke to me the wrong way. And out of the blue, I told him, I'm done. Um, I had nothing lined up, nothing, no plan, nothing. And I quit out of the blue. This is a job where not to get into a money talk too much, but you make boatloads of money, boatloads of money. And I left it for nothing, zero dollars. Um, I took a couple of weeks and I basically just looked into different avenues of things that I was interested in. And I, I basically told myself, I'm gonna go on vacation for the rest of my life and do what I want for the rest of my life. And after talking to a ton of contacts, friends, people that I was connected to, uh, I came up with football strength conditioning because my two favorite things in the world are training and football. I wanted to help young men I thought I could be a good resource for them. I thought I had really good life experience. Like I'm the first person in my family to go to college. My father was raised in a very, very ghetto situation growing up. My mom did not come from any sort of money whatsoever. So I come from a tough family um, that raised me right. I had a different career, um, you know, just interesting life experience, I think. And I felt like I could help these young men in some way, shape or form. so I decided to go into this and, and it led me down this path. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I did because you know, I truly feel like I found my passion. And, you know, in athletics, you also get a little bit of that raw intensity, right? Like that scoreboard oh, we were talking about. And I, I need that. I have to have that. I have to have that scoreboard. I have to feel wins and losses. Um, I have to feel like I have equity in the outcome of what goes on in my, in my job, for me personally. And that was something that really attracts me to athletics because I, I get to hold on to that piece of wall street i guess
0: i mean you're 100 percent getting it right now down in the sec like you, yeah you're, you're getting that
1: oh yeah i mean it's the everything you know we were talking off air uh pre-show about the standard and how yeah. high the standard is and i mean it's not only game day right it's 365 24 7. you know the standard is super high you're winning trying to win every single day And, um, you know, it's just every day you're trying to get a win on the scoreboard. So, um,
0: what's up strength coaches taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at strength coach network put out the cheeky midweekie, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members only form. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. Yeah. It's a hundred percent that way. And especially, you know, cause like you guys said, you guys have the standard and, and everybody has those standards in college athletics. And for you now with that, like how are you able to relate with your athletes? Do they ask you questions? Like once, once they realize, because you obviously with NLI, are they asking you questions? And if you're like, Hey, I just to completely divert it or like, and I'm not saying they ask you to advise you, but they're like, Oh, word Jordan. Like, you know, stuff about money. Like, what should I do?
1: Oh, I have people ask me questions all the time. You probably Um, have coaches ask you that too. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Almost everybody has asked me a question at some point, at some point or another. Um, I've had players ask me like, especially players that are like finance or economics majors. um, They'll ask me all the time, all the time. They'll ask me questions Um, and and I'll get the the occasional, you know, how do I manage my money type question? And there's some legality that goes along with that. So I don't ever manage a player's money directly or something along those lines. Uh, But of course, I can give like very basic general advice um, on just um, kind of the best practices of how to manage money, especially for these guys. Right. They're 18, 22 years old. Like they don't know how to manage money.
0: And that's the thing that they need somebody to kind of advise them and uh, i had a former iowa hawkeye on the team or on the show and he was talking about what one of the coaches was talking about like put the money in a trust for the kids so that way they could like still like essentially educate these kids instead of just like oh hey here's a bunch of money figure it out
1: like no doubt no yeah i think that's that makes a lot of sense um i don't know the logistics of what that would be yeah but um you know here at lsu we have them do kind of this like financial, um, kind of talk, so to speak. So we bring in a professional, uh, not myself, but an outside professional who actually runs them through how to manage their money. So, um, you know, I think it does a pretty good job and I think the players enjoy it. I think it's necessary because again, these guys don't have any idea on how to manage their money whatsoever. So, you know, if you just let them go with it, they may just start buying cars. They can't, can't afford, you know, and I'm sure people see a lot of that.
0: How about us strength coaches? Like, what's something that you see that a lot of strength coaches either don't know, need to know from somebody that was out of, was in finance, is in strength and conditioning, like the duality of it. What's something that coaches need to know and understand?
1: Um, you know, a lot of it's basic stuff, right? It's like getting your 401k set up properly. That's a common one. that What I does get. that
0: even mean for anybody? It's a retirement.
1: Yeah, it's a retirement account. It's a pre-taxed retirement account. So basically, you could take money out of your paycheck, right, before you get taxed on it. And it goes into a fund for yourself that you can't touch until you're retired. And in that little fund, that retirement account, you can allocate that into investments. So stocks, bonds, things like that. So you can grow your money over time. When you take it out, you'll be taxed on it. Um, But you basically can take money pre-tax and then grow it over time. And typically, when you get a 401k, your employer will match some contribution. So if you take, say, 5%, of your income and put it into your 401k your employer will match that so it's essentially free money right you should always always the take i would did
0: 10 and we had we put in five they would they would put in 10.
1: love it like that's awesome like that's a huge perk it's literally free money so um you should always take the match like that's the number one thing i ask on benefits packages this is the first thing i asked when i got here is what's the match and you know, what are the stipulations, right? It's just give me the detail around the retirement account stuff. Because when you're setting how much money you want to go into that retirement account per month of your paycheck, it's a percentage. And you typically would do the match or something above that. But you typically I would almost never advise someone to go below the match number, uh, because you're you're just leaving free money off the table. So
0: That's a great first piece of advice. And I feel like a lot of people know that. And I feel like some coaches are starting to hear more about 403 B or those things that like, what are things like that? And coaches should look into that stuff too.
1: Yeah. I'm not an expert on the 403 B I'll be honest with you. Um, but other things that I do, um, I do like to see people doing is if you have more discretionary income, like probably opening a a personal trading account is smart. Um, so this is post-tax dollars. This is after you get paid, This is money in your bank account. You can open up, you know, an account on E-Trade or Ameritrade. And this is literally just an account where you can buy and sell stocks. And I think almost everybody, especially us younger guys, um, should be putting money into the equity market, stock market. Um, And that is just, again, to have your money work for you. And that's kind of the overarching theme is you don't want money sitting in the bank because for a couple of reasons. One, inflation, right? So 20 years ago, $20 was worth more than it is today. Yep. And that's pretty obvious, right? You could just look around and see that the price of eggs has skyrocketed in the past two to three years. So your dollar today is worth less than it was yesterday and the day before and so on and so forth. So if you just have cash sitting in the bank account doing nothing for you, it's actually losing you money, right? Like it, you're losing buying power with, yep. by just sitting there. Um, so what you want to do is you want to invest it and have your money work for you. And the ideal position to be in is that your money is just passively earning you a bunch of incomes to where you don't have to worry. So you basically don't have to do anything. Um, Now, what I recommend people do is, again, open a personal trading account, E-Trade, Ameritrade. um, Any one of those is perfectly fine. Go in there and just buy the general stock market. So the ticker, so literally the thing you buy, is called SPX. It's the US stock market. This is what I recommend to almost everybody. Um, that is short for the S&P 500, which is just an index of what the US stock market is doing. So it's literally a basket of 500 stocks that represents the US stock market. You can buy that as an asset for yourself and you can have it appreciate in value over time. Now, of course, there's risk with this, right? Stocks can come down and you can lose money, yep. um, but especially if you're a young person, I'm 30 years old, right? I'm not really too worried about putting money away and taking it out in the next two years. Like, this is something I'm looking forward to 30 years down the line. So if you can put money away now and buy some stocks now, if stocks aren't higher in 30 years from now, we've probably got a bigger problem on our hands than our bank accounts. Like, it's probably a World War III scenario or a devastating scenario, right? Like, we just came out of a pandemic. Stocks are higher. We had the Great Recession in '08. Stocks are higher. Those are pretty, those were pretty devastating to our society. Yet yeah. stocks go up, um, and there's some reason and nuance behind that. But the point is, is if your stocks are down 30 years from now, we've got a bigger problem on our hands than our, our money. It's probably a doomsday scenario, and that's something that is completely out of your control anyway. So I almost always tell people, listen, if you're a younger person, you should be trying to put as much money away into into equities and stocks as you possibly can. On top <clears throat> of that, if you can afford something like real estate, yeah, um, real estate, you know, buying buying out an apartment, right, owning it and then renting it out is a That's great called house hacking
0: part. nowadays, right?
1: Yeah, right. Like you can uh, you can buy and flip houses. There's different ways of doing this. Uh, buy a house, fix it up, flip it for a profit um you could buy an apartment rent it out right so you have monthly cash flow coming in there's so many different things that you can do on the real estate side but that has a higher barrier of entry right it's a higher cost to get into so not everybody can afford that and especially in strength and conditioning where we don't make that much money right like um i certainly don't make that much and uh yeah, you know most that, of us that, don't. right so this just isn't an industry where you typically make tons of money um, but almost everybody can get into stock. So that's typically where I start with with strength coaches, because that's just such a low barrier of entry and almost anybody can do it.
0: What about people nowadays talking about, like, you know, seeing the bond market and nowadays, like if you just drive around, you see banks advertising like almost six percent if you put things locked up is. Do people yeah. change that? Like, has the tune changed? What, what does that mean? Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. So that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think the the old finance rule of thumb was take 100 minus your age. And that's the percentage of your your money that you're investing that should be in stocks. Oh. Right. So if I'm 25 years old, it should be roughly 75%. Now, I typically err on the side of more aggressive on this. Like, I don't own any bonds. I don't own any fixed income. I only own stocks. Um, and I own some alternative investments as well. Um, so for me, that would be I own some diamond. Um, diamond is oh. an asset, right? Like, it can, it's going to go up or down in value, just like gold or silver. Typically, it
0: goes up, though, right? People are like over like time you got, yeah, if you, you like it put a ring on it, it Beyonce it's said, "Right, asset.
1: yeah it's, it's a finite resource so there's only so many diamonds in the world right so um typically yes they would go up in value over a longer period of time but of course there's going to be some up in, ups and downs in there um but yeah so typically 100 minus your age like that's a, a decent uh rule of thumb of how much money of your investment money of your investment dollars should be going into stocks um so obviously, the younger you are, the more you're going to put in because you have a higher risk tolerance. If you're 20 years old, you know, who cares if you lose money in the next five years? It's irrelevant, right? Unless you're starving for cash now, which you shouldn't be investing all of your money anyway. You should keep some on the side for a rainy day fund but, and to pay expenses, right? But if you're 25, you go from 20 to 25 and you lose a little bit of money, it's really not the end of the world right? You're not taking that out to retire. You still have a job. You still have employment opportunities and you have your whole career ahead of you to earn money. So your risk tolerance is just much higher. So you should be putting more money into equities. Again, I'm 30 years old. I have 100% of my money in risky assets. Um, and I don't, I sleep fine with it because I know I've got my whole career ahead of me and, you know, I'm not looking to take out retirement dollars anytime soon.
0: No, that makes a ton of sense. And like hearing you say that it's, It's smart. And within the the stock stuff, we had a strength coach on that does option trading and he tried to explain it. And, you know, how how can you explain option trading as well? Because for me, I still didn't really understand it. And (laughs) some of our listeners as well, like it's you buy a call, you sell a put or whatever that is.
1: Yeah. So I'll keep it really simple because options are extremely complicated. Thank you pricing them is an entire algorithm. Uh, I believe the algorithm actually received a Nobel prize award. Like that's how complicated it is. It's called the black shoals pricing model. So um, we're going to not get into that on this podcast. (laughs) That is a uh, higher level discussion um, and and quite frankly, not relevant for 99% of the population Um, options. Think about it this way is I like to think about it as almost a leveraged bet. So if I buy a call, on something let's say i buy a call on apple's stock i am basically betting that stock to go higher but typically typically options are going to have a a leverage component involved so you can think about like if apple stock goes up five percent on the day the the value of the call option may actually be higher than that so it may go up by more than whatever the stock moves so the underlying stock moves but the value of the option moves a bit more in some cases, now there's a ton of nuance in this, and this is a much higher level discussion that 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 we should get into on this podcast because it would take me hours to go through all of it, and I would lose people along the way without a doubt. No, um, and that's and, and to be honest with you, I wouldn't really recommend the general strength coach population to be dabbling in options, okay? Unless you just are really you really love the trade and, and you. You know what you're talking about, and you have an idea, and you've got a risk tolerance for it. Uh, it's certainly not something I would recommend people doing or dabbling in for no reason or feeling like they have to get into. It's not like you're missing out on something necessarily, because again, you got a first rule: you got to understand what you're trading. Correct. If you're buying something. You're, you're buying it with your own money. This is an asset, you know, that you are actually owning a, a right. stock an option, anything. Right? These are things that are worth dollars. That's why you're paying for it. So if you're going to buy something, please understand what you're buying. So don't just go buy options if you don't understand them thoroughly. I own zero options. I worked on Wall Street as a professional <laughs> trader. So, <laughs> so, you know, I don't have time to go through the math and the investment theory of what options I want to own or sell. And because of that, I ain't dabbling in it. Like, it's just not worth it for me. There's too much risk because I don't have enough time. So because my time is consumed here with LSU. So, um, yeah, it's not something I would totally recommend. So if there's people out there wondering like, man, I feel pressure of getting into options or something a little more complicated, please don't feel that pressure. It's absolutely not necessary. How
0: about what's the private equity world look like? I mean, I've heard it. I'm sure other strength and conditioning coaches have heard it. What is what does that life look like?
1: Yeah, so private equity um, is basically a big pool of money. Um, typically that money would come from investors. So really, really rich people, uh, pension funds, right. Um, endowment funds. So that would be a fund of a university. So say Harvard, right, has a huge fund of, of dollars that they get from tuition and other sources that they invest because again, you want your money to work for you over time. You don't yeah. want the, the cash to just sit there in a bank account because it's going to lose value. So because of inflation. So they invest those dollars right to hopefully make a return so private equity is literally just pools of money that are governed by firms investment firms and these investment firms basically operate like a hedge fund will so if anyone's seen you know a bunch of the wall street movies or shows you may have an idea of what a hedge fund is it's the same idea it's a big pool of money from investors and when they give us the money our job is to make them as much return as as possible so again goes back to the scoreboard right the whole job is to make as much money as you possibly can Hmm. now within that there's some nuance to how you invest the money and that will be outlined to the investors outright in private equity the way you typically invest is you take ownership of entire companies so when you buy a stock like any person can you're buying a small piece of ownership in that company a small sliver of that company. So if you buy an Apple stock, right? You're buying a very small piece of ownership of Apple. You're not the CEO, you're not the outright owner, but you are one minority owner. In private equity, you typically buy out a majority majority share of a company. So you are now the outright owner of the company. And because you have majority share, you are in full control of the company. Now, the point of that is so you can actually operate the company as you see fit. So I'll give you an example. In my private equity firm, we bought a company in Texas. The company was uh, effectively a water sourcing company. Nothing sexy, right? But we liked the value of the company. We thought it was undervalued. And we had an idea of how to basically connect two water sources in Texas to make the company more profitable and therefore more valuable. So we bought the company outright. We wiped out the CEO. That was a part of that process and we started construction on water pipelines that were connecting in fields in Texas because we owned this company now. We could do with it as we please. The company starts making more money because of this business proposition, and then we sell it for a profit of what we bought it for, right, so you sell it for more than what you bought it for originally, just like buying a stock, except now you're the majority owner, so you can do with it as you please. You can operate the company as you see fit. So it's just another form of investing private equity where you're taking full control of investments. So you get, when I was doing it, you get the investment math, as you usually would. You're an investor like normal, but you're also a business operator. That's why I went into it in the first place is because I got the best of both worlds. I could actually operate a company, but I could also get the traditional Wall Street type investing.
0: That's super cool. How do you, like (laughs) living your life in athletics now, how does it help you see athletes and like, cause you know, being like, Hey, each athlete's to their <clears throat> own CEO or what, like not even yeah. with NLI, like how does it just change your view of the world in athletics?
1: Yeah. So the first thought I ever had in strength and conditioning is that it's really not that much different than actual investing. Right. And I say that because in a human body, we have limited resources. We have limited time and limited energy slash recovery capacity. So you can't just train continuously, right, as we know. So if you are training in a certain style, let's say we're training speed, right, we're doing a bunch of um, floating sprints, plyometrics, um, and we're trying to get faster, right, we're trying to increase top end speed. That's a specific form of training that we're going to allocate our time and our recovery capacity into. So those are our assets or our capital, our money that we're investing into doing this work, max velocity work, and expecting a return for it. And that return is gaining speed. We do this in many different things, right? We do it in the weight room to gain strength, power, um, to increase muscle mass, to improve body composition. We do this in the totality of training, right? When we build chronic workload, so we can be prepared for the demands of our sport, so we can increase um, or decrease injury risk, right? We're expecting a return on things, In exchange for an upfront investment, a.k.a. our time and our energy, uh, our energy capacity and our recovery ability. So is that that much different than investing where I have money? I put it into something in exchange for a return. I'm taking some risk in exchange for an expected return. When you do that, you would have some sort of return that you would expect. Right. So if I tell you, hey, let's go buy some Apple stock today or stock in Google. You would have an idea of, okay, well, in five years, I'd like it to earn me 10%, right? Something reasonable. Well, in strength and conditioning, we should also have an idea of how much speed can we gain, strength can we gain, how much chronic workload can we build, all of that, right? How much can we decrease injury risk or probability? And if you don't meet those expectations for your training program because you're tracking things over time, then something needs to be changed, right? Right? or you're flying blind if you don't have your data or, or you're tracking things, right? So my, first, my very first thought was, this really isn't that much different than investing. You're just doing the math on something a little bit different. It's just a different medium. And you have the art of coaching in there as well, right? The data doesn't dictate what you do, it just influences it. So that was, that's really how I view strength and conditioning. It's just an investment in some way, shape or form where we're trying to maximize our return and take the least amount of risk. And that risk could be injury risk, opportunity cost, right? We talk about this in this and see all the time. If you are a 500-pound squatter and I get you to 600 pounds, well, that's great. That's a big rate of return on your squat. You've gotten stronger. But at what cost? Like, does that actually make you a better player? Potentially, we could have done some extra speed work or small-sided games or just practice, right? So we need to figure out what's the best form of investment For each individual athlete on our team, given our, you know, demands of practice, demand of sport. What's up, strength coaches? Want to
0: take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information. Let's get back to the show. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches, athletic trainers, sports scientists, and everybody in the high performance department. Most notably, their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use. Not only did I use them when I was at Towson, but I've used them when I've moved back here to Iowa with Tucker at Goldfinch. So, check out Hawkin Dynamics in the link down below. Now let's get back to the show.
1: Given our scheme, and get the best ROI on our, on our training. And that's, to me, that's what sports science does in a strength and conditioning standpoint is does your program even work? And if it does, how good is it? Like, let's, let's put some numbers behind it. And when you're doing that, how can we figure out the most optimal or near optimal forms of training for each person on our team? And we can use data to help us get closer to those answers. Again, it's not the end all be all. It's not a, you know, data tells us what to do. It just simply gives us an idea of what path to go down. And it gives us a little bit of ammunition so we can back up our ideas. And it's essentially a compass that points you in the right direction, right? So that's the way I see it. And it really all started with that simple thought.
0: Right now in 2024, data is obviously and technology is growing in your crystal ball. Where do you see it going in the next one, three, five years? um, in the positive direction
1: in terms of strength and conditioning, just yeah. Strength and
0: conditioning with data and sports science and like where you forecast, you know, currently what you're doing and how the rest of the athletic population is implementing sports science.
1: Yeah. So I think a couple things are going to get more popular. Uh, number one, coding, um, I post about this every once in a while. Like, I think it's probably good to have a coder on staff or somebody that can do that. Assuming that you have a good sports science program built out um, because it makes you way more efficient. Right. Like dealing with large data sets is really tough to do in Excel. Like you, you pretty much have to use code if you really want to use large data sets and, and use any form of like statistical analysis. So I think coding will become more popular. And it's, in my view, not all that difficult. Um, like I learned here on the job at LSU, if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. Um, so that's something I think that will be more popular. The way I view um, sports science, at least here in my capacity, is I view it in three different silos. Number one, strength and conditioning. So that's what we just talked about, right? That's your traditional sports science, influencing the training program, uh, all about physical preparation. Number two is practice modeling, right? Falls under a very similar umbrella, but using data to figure out the best forms of practice, maybe that's drill selection, um, practice duration, different themes of practices per day and how that changes from something like fall camp through midseason or the end of the year. And the third silo I think it falls into is what I call talent identification. And this is a piece that I think is going to grow massively. So in terms of your question of, you know, where do I think the data goes and technology goes, I think this is a huge piece for strength uh, for sports science in in football specifically, is figuring out how do we value players? on a talent basis. So let me give you an example. In 20, I think it was 2017 or whenever Justin Jefferson was coming up in recruiting, everybody knows Justin Jefferson, right? Yep. Uh, one of the best receivers in the NFL, former offensive player of the year, first Dude, round pick. Like, I think he dudes, a right. Went number 18 to the, to the Vikings. I believe it was, uh, won a national championship here at LSU on that 19 team undefeated. And he comes out of high school. I think he was a two or three star recruit.
0: I remember seeing that.
1: Yeah. Which was not right. Uh, he was actually <laughs> oh. a five-star recruit disguised as a two or three-star, right? Oh, like, yes. Nobody no. knew it at the time. Yes. Like the, the big rating agencies or whoever, 247 or on three, they didn't know this at the time. They He was just rated a two or three-star. But in reality, if we could have gone back in time, he'd be valued a five-star and everybody would be throwing huge money at him. So – my big question is, well, how can we find more Justin Jeffersons? How can we find the two or three star player who's actually a five star? So again, goes back to investing. How do I find the undervalued asset? If I have a stock that's undervalued and the market values it here, but I think it's worth this, I should buy it, right? Cause I get yeah. to buy it here and I can sell it here.
0: Yeah.
1: I made profit. I made this money now to get from here to here, takes some sort of analysis take some sort of analysis to get to that point, to get to that thesis. Well, I think in recruiting, you can do the same thing, right? We've seen it. We see it all the time. Guys that are two or three star players or that were unrecruited and go to the NFL and ball out. Like what, where was Josh Allen recruited? was he even a star and now he's a top three quarterback in the NFL. Right? So the idea for me is how can we use data and technology to further bolster our recruiting organizations in our recruiting process to find undervalued players on the flip side you can find players that may be overvalued and especially in today's world the Ooh. worst possible player to miss on is a five star player why because they cost you money up front and typically Ooh. it's big money so you can miss on a two star you know if you're a big you know sec team or big 10 team or whatever and you get a three-star player and it doesn't pan out and it doesn't work out, which happens, it's not the end of the world because you pretty much usually aren't paying those guys up front, you know, in yeah, big NIL sponsorships. You didn't, put the, sponsorships. You didn't yeah. put the house on it. Now they get a full ride scholarship, of course, Yeah. but they're not always getting NIL money up front. But the five-star player probably is. So if he doesn't pan out, you have now lost money and you could have given that money to somebody else. So potentially you lost a, a recruit that actually should have panned out. So it hurts you in more ways than just, oh, it didn't pan out, it didn't work out, you know, it wasn't a fit for our program. You've actually lost value on the player. So that is the least efficient thing that you can do is, is take a five star that doesn't pan out because it's gonna cost you up front immediately. The three star might cost you up front, but that's gonna, ha- or it might cost you down the line, but that's because it worked out. And that's a good thing, right? So again, how can we find more undervalued players two, three, maybe even four-star players who are really five stars? And how do we find the players that are overvalued? Because I want want my competitors to take overvalued five-star players. They'll look great on paper initially, but they're going to pay for it up front and they're going to pay for it on the back end. Whereas I want all of the three stars who are really Justin Jefferson immediately, because I probably don't have to pay as much up, up front. It's just the reality of where we're at today. And I get a superstar player. So it's all about efficiency, right? It's no different than building an investment portfolio. Dude. You want to build around your needs. You can take risk in certain places and things cost you money. There's, an, a, there's a risk reward here. So when you take a five-star, there is risk. There's risk because it may not work out and it's going to cost you money. So in terms of your original question, it's a long-winded answer. I think having technology, having testing protocols in place, having some sort of uh, data analysis to figure out who the best players are, irregardless of what their star rating is on, on three or 247, but probably to have your own rating on them yourself, internal rating, and having that be an objective measurement that you are actually getting real data on. And we've actually started this process at LSU. Uh, me and Scott and Coach Flint started this uh, last year and Coach Kelly uh, through our camp process we totally revamped the way that we test our players um, or the campers that come in we get real data on them in a great testing battery and it's all automated testing we use force plates nordboard laser Um, there's no hand time 40. it's all real data in a standardized method and we gather tons of information on high school athletes um, in a systematic way i won't give away all the details on that obviously uh, but when we get that data, we're able to perform real analysis on it. And it's, it's, it's an amazing data set that we have, um, that was only going to grow. And to me, it's one of the biggest assets that, that me and Scott have built. Um, because I think there's, again, if you can figure out, if you can figure out a way to find more Justin Jeffersons, that could literally win you national championships, just like it did in 2019.
0: Everybody see why I had this guy on the show. Holy cow.
1: Like, <laughs> Dude. I appreciate it. It's just, you know, it's just interesting to think about. And there's so that's the great thing about college football is and, and sport in general, is there's so many avenues to explore and go down. And I got to give credit to to Scott Kuhn, who I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast. Jake Flint, our head of uh, athletic development here, head strength coach to Coach Kelly, uh, because they are all so open minded. They really allow me to kind of step out and, and do a lot of this work. And they are so open to trying these things and being aggressive in terms of, hey, let's let's go about you know these ideas and let's try to figure out um, you know new ways of doing things or how can we find the best talent? How can we uh, train our guys the best? How can we change practice to be better, have less injuries, to be more fresh on game day? Uh, all of it is just incredible, and the open-mindedness of these guys. That's why I came here, and that's why. You know, God willing, I want to stay here as long as possible because these guys are brilliant and they've really come up with a staff and a model that allows us to explore these things. I'm just a tool. Those guys are the ones driving the ship. And, uh, man, they do an an incredible job.
0: God willing, I want that to happen, too, man. You guys are absolutely killing it down there. I appreciate Um, it. I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. I know you guys are in there and you guys got people on campus right now. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me, brother. Um, I'm honored course, that man. we were your first and I, after people listen to you talk, I don't think you're, we're going to be the
1: last. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, man. Uh, next time, maybe I'll share some of the more wolf stories for you. Um, Sounds good, brother. I've got plenty of them, so I appreciate you having me on and, uh, <laughs> Man, like I said, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Uh, Big fan of SCN. Obviously, I'm a member, and uh, it's been huge for my development as a coach. So highly recommend to any other coaches out there. Get on the network and uh, pour through it, man, because there's such good information on there.
0: Thank you very much, brother. Really appreciate you.
1: All right, sir. Thank you.